we're centralized. We are we are as vulnerable as we have ever been as a nation, and it's our food supply. Human beings. This is what this is what we're trying to get people to understand. Human beings need three things: food, shelter, safety. We we need those those three basic things, and most people aren't paying attention to that, right? They need their TikTok, they need their Netflix streaming, they need their Disney account, they need their their Amazon Prime. Like that's the things they're thinking about. But I'm like, you guys have no idea how vulnerable our supply chain is still. Like after COVID, I would estimate that we're only about 75% recovered as a whole for a supply chain post COVID, and we're still on shaky ground. So. Long-term, yes, I have optimism. I think long-term, people in this country will do what people in this country have always done. They, they rose to the occasion, they rallied, and they went to work. You're listening to the Born Primitive Podcast. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to the Born Primitive Podcast. Good morning, Tone. Good morning, Bear. All right, so today uh, we have two really cool guests. We have Brooke Entz and AJ Richards. Uh, some of you right, might remember Brooke from, from the CrossFit years back when she make, made her breakout in the CrossFit Games and then became a very kind of influential uh, fitness um, influencer on, on social media. Um, but Brooke uh, is a native of St. George, Utah, uh, as we said, accomplished athlete, became an actress, uh, entrepreneur with a deep passion uh, for her family, uh, the business, the ranching and agriculture. Um, she grew up kind of in a rural area in Utah and, and kind of developed a strong love for the outdoors um, and appreciation for hard work and resilience. Uh, AJ is a combat veteran entrepreneur and is the CEO of Sustenance Earth, which is the organization we're going to get into. Um, and, you know, it's kind of together um, they're standing this thing up. And, and the, the commitment is um, basically to provide a platform for all access to healthy food preserving the land and supporting farmers and ranches across the nation. And of course, they're going to do this way more justice than I am, but um, kind of with an emphasis on the importance of supporting local agriculture and strengthening uh, the connection between uh, consumers and the land. So I know you guys will do that way more justice, and, and there's so much we, we need to peel back from that. But you two, welcome uh, to the Born Primitive Podcast. Thank Thanks you for having, for having us. us. And before we get into the, the farm stuff, which I know Tony is chomping at the bit to get into, um, you know, Brooke, I, I quickly want to start with you. Um, you know, I think a lot of our audience kind of knows you originally as, as the CrossFit OG. You kind of made that rookie breakout year and everyone's like, who's this jacked blonde girl? You know, that like is, is kind of like you came out. On, I mean, from my optic, you, know, you kind of came out of nowhere. And then you were kind of from one of the first kind of mega influencers right before that was really like a big thing. And now everyone wants to be that. Um, so you had a huge reach on social media and I know a lot of, uh, women looked up to you and you were kind of, a, a, you know, you were, you know, showcasing fitness through your platform and, and you still do that obviously. Um, and it's been really cool to see that. Um, but then you kind of took this pivot, um, at least it appeared to be a pivot. And as, as I know you now, like that, you were always kind of a rancher in Utah and that was always your thing going to rodeos and things like that. But from kind of the, you know, people that just observe you through social media, like, oh, what happened to Brooke? She you know, left across the games and now she's <laughs> yeah. like got a cowgirl hat on and, you know, going to rodeos and, you know what I mean? So I guess walk me through quickly kind of that journey, um, how you broke out into the scene, you know, and, and, you know, was the kind of influencer thing intentional or, you know, did the CrossFit games kind of catapult you into that, that kind of a trajectory? And then you're like, holy crap, I have a million followers. Like, how did this happen? So just kind of walk me through that. And then what ultimately led to where, you, you know, you, you are right now, you know, ranching in Utah. Um, and then we'll obviously get into the, uh, the feed yeah. the people thing. Okay. Um, for anyone who is like, yeah, why are you not working out anymore? You guys, I work out. 
<laughs> you know, I, I never pivoted like my, what I care about, what I love never changed. I love fitness. I love being healthy. I love being able to do like learn and play new sports. I like being active. I've always been active. I played sports all growing up. I danced through college and I always wanted to be a rodeo queen. Always. I sang at the rodeo every year growing up. My mom would dose me with Benadryl. We'd go to the rodeo. I'd sing. And then she'd take me home because when I was little, my allergies were so bad that I'd go and sing. And usually at our rodeo, when you're, we're out singing, anyone can kind of ride their horses in the arena. So people will come that aren't even in the rodeo and they'll bring the horses and they'll ride. And as soon as that dust kicked up, my allergies were so bad that my eyes would swell shut. <laughs> I mean, kind of funny, but it was awful. And as I grew up, I definitely got through a lot of those allergies. So it's not as bad. So we have horses. We've had horses my whole life. Um, we have a ranch. I just got my first horse and I've been working her. And my goal is to be able to show her um, reigning cow horse. And I also would love to get into roping and tie down and, you know, have some fun doing barrels. And also this one is what surprises people. I really would like to try bulldogging. So if you guys don't know what bulldogging is, uh, steer wrestling. <laughs> I think I would need a really small steer because I'm not as strong as I used to be. But the thing is, is I didn't stop competing because I was over it or because I really wanted to pivot. I had a cervical fusion. So I have a plate and four screws in my neck. Um, I got through that a year of, let's see, that was in March 31st, 2017. And then I competed in 2018. I dealt with shoulder issues, labrum tears, things like that, especially from my cervical fusion. I had so much atrophy, like so much atrophy in my body, in my upper body, that all of those became issues. So now like when I get a little inflamed, I no longer had that muscle mass to protect it. So everything would, it affected me more. I can't do as much with my upper body without getting so tight, so locked up through my neck, through my traps, through my upper back, through my shoulders, and then down through my arms. And I had um, spinal cord damage. So my grip strength is nowhere near what it used to be. And I'm just kind of working through that. Nerve regeneration just takes time. There's no specific amount of time or exercise that you can do to speed it up. But that is why I don't compete anymore. I did compete one more year. And after competition in 2018, my shoulders were so bad. I went in to have my shoulders checked and I decided to, that's kind of also a year when CrossFit was kind of in a really, you know, just another real weird transition phase. And so I kind of decided, you know what, I'm not going to push myself because I had told my surgeon and my shoulder surgeon in California, I was like, listen, I can do this. Let's just fix it. <laughs> Let's do both of them. I was in a neck brace and I wanted to have both my shoulders done. Cause I'm like, I can't afford to have to recover for too long because everyone, we just keep training, right? You just keep training. You keep training. We keep getting better. You keep getting better. It's this long compound effect. And I was getting behind, so behind from surgery and from recovering. And my doctor said, if you do it, he's like, the chances of you having to do it again, so shoulder surgery, he's like very high. And to him, I, for, for me, I was like, I know multiple people, like 
Sam Briggs. Okay. I know multiple people, friends of mine that are killer athletes and they've had surgery and come back and been just fine and jumped right into competition. He swore to me that would not be the case. And even if it was, the chances of me having to do surgery again were very high. And then all the things were happening through just the organization. And so I decided I'm not going to compete this year. I don't want to be, be in a point where I no longer get to try new things or play new sports, right? Or be active. I love to, I want a dirt bike. I like snowboarding. I want to jump out of airplanes. I love horseback riding. I want to do bulldogging. And I can't do that if I'm extra broken. So again, I love competing. If I wouldn't have had surgery, I would have competed for at least a few more years for sure. You know, that's a very hard, I guess, business um, to get out of. When you have this routine built into your life, it's very hard to all of a sudden be like, oh, I'm not doing that anymore. Like you're like, you always go to the gym. So then it's like, I go to the gym. Well, how do I not work out twice a day? How do I not do this much intensity? Where can I cut back my volume so I can just do it to be healthy and fit, but I'm not going, I'm not trying to compete. So for me, it's almost like a, it was a very sad, very hard life experience that I had to endure. But I think because it sort of forced me that when I first, that year I had surgery, it forced me to sit on the bench. I didn't want to. I mean, it was a very hard pill to swallow. But when I did that, and once I had surgery and I had my mind had got over this hurdle. Now I was on the other side of it and I could just start recovering, just start recovering. Um, I was able to be like, okay, I'm going to enjoy this time because when I'm healthy, I will no longer have an, ex there's no excuse I can give as to why I'm not in the gym or why I'm not working hard on something. And so that's when I started, you know, leaning into business stuff that I was working on and that I was very, I thought about all the time and opportunities. And I took the time to do that. Um, in terms of ranching and doing it as a business. And now what me and AJ are doing with from the farm and feed the people. It all started with AJ calling me a uh, quick note and AJ can give more information, but we are distant relatives. We um, are from the same hometown and our families were a f two of not very many that settled the area. People that first came here and settled the area. And we started talking about beef and he was at the time working for, actually, AJ, go ahead and you tell him, you tell him what you were doing. Uh, yeah, we were working on setting up a direct consumer meat source, a meat company, and then working with some other, um, you know, ready-made milled providers. And so knowing that Brooke was from the area and was kind of here a lot more, I knew she was in a transition phase, didn't know all the stuff she was going, you know, going through or working through, but just reached out and said, do you want to, do you want to team up and get to work on something in the in the meantime, I was working on a whole separate project that I didn't have, uh, I guess, the confidence to tell her about yet, which we'll get into more. Um, and that was 2020. And then things have evolved for both of us since then. And, and I will say, I will, I will say, I did move home. So I'm, I am back in Utah. I moved home from California in 2021. And just think some things drastically changed for me business-wise. And I just... I was on my way out of town. I was going to be gone for like a month and a half. And I called my realtor. I had just moved into the house I had bought. And I was like, can you sell my house? Oh, she said, yes. Oh. And so while I was gone, my best friend, she, they showed my house. They did the whole thing and sold it. And then I got home and drove, flew out there with my mom 
got my U-Haul, gave away a ton of my stuff to like my friends, my best friend's daughter who was moving out of her house for the first time and then loaded up a U-Haul and drove home. And man, is life just so much better out here, (laughs) except for I do miss my friends, but I love Utah, Southern Utah. Yeah. Yeah, you don't miss some of the uh, the California shenanigans, I bet. <laughs> I'll, I'll, leave, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> um, well, you know, we're really excited about this topic because I think it's something that, you know, I think is has huge significance. So I, I, I don't want to steal your all's thunder, but walk me through, you know, kind of the how Feed the People was established and, and what what need is it solving and, and what is the bigger issue at hand here with when it comes to farmland and, and sourcing food in America? So when I first reached out to Brooke, we were, you know, COVID hadn't started yet. We were just looking at building a direct consumer brand that would really end up supporting a lot of the producers in the Southern Utah area. Because if you grow direct to consumer, you end up having or, or needing to aggregate from other producers just to keep up with volume, which is a great, a great scenario when it's, you know, built with integrity and, and egos are left aside and you're really trying to make a, a bigger impact, right? Like ButcherBox did $600 million in revenue last year. If that company sourced entirely from American producers, uh, which they're all foreign, unfortunately, but if they source from American producers, the volume of love that you could spread across all of these American ranchers would be incredible and everybody wins from that. So you know, this was pre-COVID and we were just looking to build a great business that would support a lot of people that fed that ecosystem. Um, and then, uh, so I was, it was, I started with my family's ranch. My family are uh, uh, fifth generation ranchers. They like, like Brooke saying, they settled this area as well. Place called the Arizona Strip, north side of the Grand Canyon, um, about 60 miles south of St. George where we are. And so I started selling beef for my family's operation Well, then COVID hit and I called to schedule my next round of slaughter for our customers. We had a growing, especially after COVID hit, people were like, oh shit. And they started ordering, you know, like crazy. And we're really just doing it locally. So I reached out to uh, my local slaughterhouse to schedule my next round of slaughter. And they're like, yeah, we can get you in in 12 to 18 months. Previously to that, it was like, you call and like, yeah, we can get you in a week. You know, it was no big deal. COVID hit and the entire supply chain just fell apart. It just crumbled. I mean, if people think back, we have such short memories. If you think back to the news clips, you know, millions of gallons of milk being dumped in the fields and pigs being lined up along a pit and just slaughtered and they culled the herds, you know, all of these major disruptions were going on with our supply chain. And and people just have no idea how centralized we have become and how it's just really set us up for a major possible failure in our country i mean on a on a scale that we haven't seen in decades so anyway i call him like oh shit we're what the hell so i start driving around the entire state of utah just getting our beef slaughtered wherever we could squeeze in and then that ended up producing a whole nother list of issues which was you know not every slaughterhouse is the same so we go to one place and they send it to me in different packaging and my cut you know what you guys are in in business and in branding people want consistency when it shows up they they want to know it's consistent because that you know that's reliability well i've got some that's paper wrapped and some that's vacuum sealed and some that's you know a rib steak is now called a ribeye even though it's the same thing but customers don't know all of these things and so we just had all of these issues so 
I shut it down. I'm like, I, this, the margins in meat are so slim as it is. Like I can't be driving all day long to pick up my animals when the margins aren't there to begin with. So we, I took a step back, but, but while this was happening, I'm listening to the news talking about empty store shelves and people, you know, it's this major dominating topic. And I'm thinking I'm driving down this rural road and I see beef standing in the field on four legs everywhere. And I'm like, the issue is not that we don't have food in this country. The issue is, is that we fucked up and we destroyed our supply chain by putting it in the hands of four dudes, right? And so I just kind of had this light bulb aha Two moment. Two of which that aren't from here. And yeah. you are, who yeah. are those four dudes? <clears throat> uh, JBS, Cargill, Tyson, and National Beef. Those, are the, okay. those four corporations control 85% of our beef supply chain. 85% and two of them are foreign operated, JBS and Tyson. JBS is a Brazilian owned company and Tyson is China. And so oh, that's interesting. That's who dominates 85% of our meat supply chain right now. So I have this aha moment. I'm like, what if we built a software that's like Airbnb, but instead of short term rentals, you can open it and through geolocation instantly populate everybody around you who's growing and selling food direct? Because you know, th there's a, just a disconnect between urban and rural communication. Like, but, but we're, we rely on each other. You know, the rural community, we don't understand the first thought about what's going through the minds of people in major cities, but we have, that's who's buying the food. That's who is agri, you know, buying from, from me and my, my, my ranching and farming family, uh, friends in the urban environments. They think everybody out in the country is a bunch of redneck hillbillies that don't, that aren't, very bright, but they forget that that's who's sourcing that. That's where your food is coming from, by and large. It's also so, where everyone came from. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, that's how everyone lived. <laughs> we're, we're only two you know? generations away from from that. You know, the the, the whoever's the first, the most city slicker person you could ever meet is only two generations away from being on the farm. But we've that's how fast we have forgotten. So anyway, have this idea. So then I go to Brooke and I'm like, hey, I'm I'm working on something else. Um, that I want to talk to you about if you're interested. And she's like, yeah. And I told her, and she's like, oh yeah, I'm in. Let's go for it. And so that's this app that that uh, we call From the Farm. And AJ, how did this desire, kind of rewinding a little bit, even before the direct yeah. consumer, before you created that, how did you land on this? Was your, I know you said it was like a fifth generation farm. Had that legacy built principles that you were then just carrying on? Or did you kind of even go against what had been done on your ranch prior to that? Because and that, Brooke, I actually think I heard you talking about it on another podcast. Like there's almost, there's a newer generation that's getting into, and do you got is regenerative, like that word, I'm sure you guys is, would you consider yourself in the regenerative space to some degree? Some degree. Yeah. Okay. We're, we're hot. We're highly encouraged by that, but we also believe that every small family farm and ranch, however they operate needs to be supported. Yeah. But yeah. And, and, there, and there was the question I was, I was trying to get to, did you, did you, was this just something that had lived on in your family or did you have nuanced ideas that you actually brought to your ranch? And then obviously it sounded like you started to turn that into a, a, a business. So can you walk through yeah. a little bit? How, how did these thoughts swirl in your head um, initially? Yeah, that's a great question. So, so initially, actually it was the impact on our, our eco, our ecosystem that I was more concerned about. It wasn't the, this whole you know, parallel economy and improving the the bottom line of the producer. I didn't, I, I, I wasn't there yet. I didn't have that rattling around in my brain. Really what I had was, you know, when I, when I went to Iraq, um, 
the first time I went, we took, you know, care packages into a small village and, and it was a lot of food and stuff like that. And we handed them out to the people there. And I remember seeing this guy standing off in the corner and I don't know what he was thinking, but in my head, cause I've got a brand new baby girl at home in my head, I'm thinking other men are feeding my family. Like I don't, I don't want to be that guy. Right. And so COVID hit and all I could think of was this dude's face, like shit, we're, what would happen if I'm close to being that guy that has to count on other people to feed my family, you know? so I'm just like, and really it's cause I was seeing like the desertification that is happening. Like we do have an issue with our farming practices. It, they're not, it, it's not, um, I don't believe in global warming. I don't believe in the climate change bullshit narrative. So, so you, you kind of have to bear with me in, in how I describe this. Cause that's people automatically jump to like conclusions. Desertification is a thing. And it is happening because of management issues, but those management issues are caused by the Bureau of Land Management and the Par Department of the Interior and their their management, their their uh, belief of what proper management is. And that's a that's a whole rabbit, rabbit hole, hole we can go down. <laughs> but um, so I I then I come across Alan Savory's TED Talk, and Alan Savory is the founder of the Savory Institute. That I highly encourage people to go check out Alan Savory TED Talk. This guy completely is restoring desertification in Africa and doing it with natural processes. So I'm like, oh, shit. You know, my family, when they went out to the Arizona Strip and homesteaded, um, they're, they're the Bundy Ranchers, by the way. So if you look up Bundy Ranchers, take on the BLM or Bundy Ranchers, you know, federal government, you're going to see all kinds of stuff. That's that's my family. And I watched them go to war against a corrupt federal government. They were like the early whistleblowers of, you know, they're coming after us. And and so I try to go to my family and say, hey, there's this new practice. And I tried to, you know, encourage them about regenerate because our, our historical journal writings said that we went out to the Arizona Strip and grass was stirrup high, you know, stirrup on a, on a saddle. And we could throw seeds in the ground and dry farm and everything would just grow. Then five years later, the journals changed. The rain cycles stopped. The they couldn't grow things on a on a consistent basis. The grass wasn't growing like it used to. They didn't understand that they had broken inadvertently the cycles of nature that was allowing for all of this growth. And so I I'm like, oh man, holy crap! I just discovered something new. These guys are going to be so excited. <laughs> That's and they not were true. like, no. <laughs> They're like, what do you know? You know, I'm the city slicker cousin. Just so you know, just to be clear, I grew up doing the ranching and the cattle drives. I didn't wake up and do the chores. So here comes city slicker cousin AJ with some fancy yeah. new idea about ags. It's going to, this is going to save us all. You know, I'm so, I'm so naive, but, but it, really what that, yeah, go ahead. No, yeah. It, it's, it's just interesting. Cause like what you're describing to me and here's the, the, what bear mentioned, the nerd and me going to come out is it, it blows my mind. Um, as a country and then as just a human, like as an American and as a species, our, our unwillingness to look at things that are right in front of us. And I truly think in 10 years, we will look back and say, what the hell did we do to our soils? And it's already happening. Yes. And individuals like yourself, I think, are the pioneers in that world where it's the climate change and all these things. There, there's all these smoke screens of like drawing our attention to that when right in front of us, our water supply, our soils, are being degraded to a point where it's not sustainable. And that's sad because if that folds, not only do we become so reliant on exter external sources, you're removing the power from your people then more and more. And, and, and that's yes. the centralization you talked about initially. So 
It, it is. It's it's one when you start to dig into it, and, and it sounds like you went through this. You sound like the crazy guy, like sh shouting from the rooftops. But then, what 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 I love, and I'm I, and that's why I'm so appreciative of what you guys are doing is. What used to be a crazy thought 10 years ago now is getting talked about more and more and more. And of course, as with any nuanced good idea, there's going to be strong resistance to that. And you're seeing that as well. So it is an interesting battle. And I, I told Bear before we went live, like what's so encouraging to me is somebody who grew up on a farm. And then even now, like I get you've probably heard of Polyface Farms, Joel Salatin. Um, oh, yeah. He's a big name in the industry. I'm able to buy my meat from there and, and raw milk even here in Virginia Beach, there's a huge community of people that are saying like, and I probably have 20 friends who, who do it and there's a bunch of local farms that you can buy a sh uh, cow or a cow share in order to get raw milk. So just to see kind of the, the thing picking up more and more momentum is so encouraging to me, but, and you guys would know this way more intimately than I would, it's, it's not gonna be an easy, it's not an easy path to walk and there's a lot of things and I, I love what you said about it isn't, it's not about flipping the food industry on its head. That actually is, is an unrealistic and ungrounded approach to this, at least in my opinion. It's what you said earlier of create parallel systems that slowly pull away from that so that in 10 years we look back and say, yeah, like fuck that old model, we've moved out of that. But it's a transition that can actually take place in a real kind of stepwise fashion as opposed to just, yeah, let's flip it on its head, this is the new thing. That's actually a kind of an immature way to look at it. Would you, would you agree with that? Yeah, I would. And, and that's exactly what it was. You know, I have a, I have a, my wife's cousin is married to this gentleman. His name is Neil Spackman. And if you go look up the Al-Vida project in Saudi Arabia, this guy was contracted to go and lead this operation. And it was an operation to take a completely degraded piece of land. Like I'm talking, uh, not a single piece of vegetation, as far as you can see. And the, the, ground was all these little tiny boulders because it was so degraded he interviewed in the, in this uh documentary he interviewed this old timer out there and he said there used to be trees as wide as oil drums like this whole place was a forest and so this wasn't natural you would look at him like oh it's always been that way no man fucked it up like even in iraq i i went back to iraq as a contractor and ended up sitting next to the guy that ran the entire uh, uh general electric for the whole country and was an iraqi born and raised citizen. And he said, Iraq used to be a wetland. Like we've lost entire civilizations because Saddam Hussein was so worried about Kuwait that he dammed off the, the water tributaries, dried up the entire uh, wetlands, and now it's a desert. It used to not be a desert. So um, one dude who was crazy changed an entire landscape, right? And so we look around and we assume that's what it used to look like. But ultimately what I'm getting to is this. What he discovered in that project was we can go back and plant these trees, but we have to understand what led to that. And what led to that was economic decline. So people are starving and they don't have power and, and, and natural gas to do any cooking. So they go and level their forests so they can sell it to make money so they can feed their family. So there's a, you have to look at, it's what they, it's what Savory says, you know, everything works as a whole in nature. It's if you try to engineer it, which is the whole Bill Gates problem, you know, an engineer sees problem A, solution B, point A to point B, distance B, you know, shortest distance. Let's just go for that and fucking pump carbon out of the atmosphere into an underground storage tank It's because it's an engineered thought process, but it's nature as a whole. So what we have to do, and, and this is where the app came in, is if we create an, a parallel economy where you can be paid more to do your job, 
now we've now that's how we influence this other activity. So if I can help you earn more revenue on your operation, now you'll listen to ways uh, that we might be able to introduce you to to make more revenue. You know, like a, a regenerative producer, a good, a good friend of mine, for example, Northern Utah, uh, McMurdy Ranch, they've been doing regenerative for five years. They've cut out probably a quarter million dollars of inputs. And that's inputs, fertilizers and fuels and all of these extra costs uh, and herbicides and fungicides and pesticides. They don't need it anymore. They're increasing their forage. They're increasing the yield they can grow on their on their operation with decreasing their inputs. So these guys are now economically viable. We as citizens want our farmers and ranchers to be economically viable. Otherwise, we lose them. And then we have to look to the government to, to feed us. That's yeah, the worst case scenario. We don't want that. Just a ton there that I, I, I'm completely <laughs> aligned with as far as like the, I, I call it like scientific reductionism, where we love to look mm. at little pieces of things that are actually a very complex uh, kind of system. And we get so honed in on those things that we think we can just manipulate those for an outcome, but then we don't look at the lateral effects it has on the system as a whole. And that's as a species, we're really bad at that. And I think people are starting to wake up to the fact that like, hey, we can't keep doing this. Like we cannot keep focusing on one variable solving for that and then not seeing the 18 other things that it's affecting downstream. And, and this, I think this is a literal perfect example of that. And you're right, like individuals like Bill Gates, when you hear them talk about things, it's like, I, I see what you're getting at. And, it, and I'm not somebody that thinks they have like this grand evil plan. I just think they view their perception of the world is extremely different and almost non-holistic in a way that's it's causing detriments and ripple effects through our society, which is why then they get perceived as these kind of masterminds. It is, it's just a different, a differing way of thinking. And I love what you said about like, the, there's an intelligence to this earth. And when you just observe it and then try to mimic those through our behavior, in my opinion, there's a dance that takes place where you're not having to force things onto nature. Now, I know that sounds lofty and that sounds like almost too good to be true, but there's plenty of examples of that. And the one you just gave about uh, creating like ecosystems on retaining water and then watch what happens. If you retain water within an environment, watch what happens as far as the flourishing of the plants, the animals, the fauna. And yet we, we just ignore that and think that, no, no, man needs to come in there. We grow one crop, we strip it, we fertilize it every year. But then you look at the soils and they've lost the hundred or almost 100% of the nutrient profile and micro uh, minerals that are in the plants. So yeah, I, I, I'm rambling as well, but but completely aligned <laughs> kind of with, with, with everything you're saying. Yeah. And what, what's Bill Gates doing? Because isn't he like buying up all the farmland? And, and isn't yeah, he so, trying yeah, to like... Did Tony, weren't you? It's saying? so funny because I, I posted something and it was talking about Bill Gates, and someone messaged me and they're like, like, there's only this much farmland that he owns. And in America, there's this much. Like, calm down. And I'm thinking, yeah. do you think that it's a good idea for him to own any of it? Does he have <laughs> any experience being a, land, a steward, like a steward of the land? Does he know anything about it? I mean, already it's like, wait, Bill Gates is talking about healthcare? Wait, are you a doctor? Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, and what's so crazy is people, we forget, like it's someone who you're like, oh, they're important. And then as they just talk about stuff, you're like, yeah, that's right. That makes sense. And it's like, wait a second. Did you go to school for this? Wait, why are we listening to you? Oh, because you have a lot of money. Oh, because you're good with your money. <laughs> well, and that, and that like the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And I think that's the, like, that's those guys at times, I think are examples of that, where 
I, I don't know if I can conclude that, the, and I just said this, but that they have some evil master plan. But what I do think to be true is that they've reached a level of influence and power that the same way I know a lot of really successful dumb people, it's that like they're viewing it through their lens and then they actually have the influence to make changes that individuals on the ground roots are saying like, you don't know what we're doing. Like, why are you deciding this? Like, you have no clue what you're doing, but in their head, they've convinced themselves. And he's a great example. Like, if you start to peel back the layers on like vaccines in Africa, like there are a lot of heinous things oh, that it's, he's- it's messed he's, Yes, and, and this isn't this isn't woo-woo tinfoil cap. This is confirmed. Like, there is plenty of evidence to support this. And, but you can trace it back to what he thought the, the, the reasoning was. Now, I, I, once again, to try to dissect Bill Gates' mind here, I won't even try to do that. But it is it is fascinating, as you said, Brooke, to see people of power and influence think that they need to be the ones constantly making the decisions for something like our food supply, which that's once again what I love about you guys. It's like that should be that should be within smaller communities. Of course, there's always, at least for the time being, going to be a a, a national kind of supply chain that needs maintained, but that should be with the people in smaller communities where they can control it and they can control the quantity and quality of it. Well, it's like, that's, that is the, the issue with influence. Okay. This is like, brings it full circle. Why when they started coming out with influencer, I hated it. Cause it was like, wait, you're, I'm being, I'm in a group with all these people that never did anything in their own life, in their business, in their, in their efforts, in their sport, whatever it is, never did anything. They're just cute or pretty and they exercise. And now they're, you know, doing TikTok and they're, they got millions of followers. And I'm like, what did you do? Like, how are you, how could you, if you had a, if you had a conversation with one of your fans, how could you actually change their life? You know? And so you look at like Bill Gates and I think, or even here's a great example during COVID, even now, because it's we're we're just we're just deep in the bullshit now. Yeah. Sound um, the alarms at Spotify. You've ban, got ban us again. Here we go. <laughs> Let's do it. We're already I just banned. Never, Let's go. For real. I just never realized again, when I lived in California too. You know, you are when you you are the sum of the five people around you. It's like when you're in an environment and everything's kind of playing or everyone's talking about things in a certain way. It's very hard to even be able to understand it in a bigger picture when you're surrounded by emotion, like crazy emotional response and you're being fed all certain information. But in terms of like TV hosts, comedians, Noah, what's his name? Noah something. You just have these people. Yes. But you have these people who their job is influencing their, their comedians, their talk show hosts, their, and they get a lot of traction. Tons of people love to watch them. They're entertaining. They're funny. They're smart. They have people on, they have conversation, whatever. At a certain point, did anyone realize that people were getting their news from TV show hosts that are like, again, let's remember the question. Where do you, how do you know what you're, like, are you educated? Like, how do you, what do you do that I should listen to you to tell me like what's right or what's wrong when you're a TV show host. Like you shouldn't be playing one side if you're a TV show host and have someone on and have a conversation. But at a certain point, it was hard to even know who, what people's jobs really were. Like, are you a journalist? Are you like, do you, are you always educating yourself? Like, is this a passion of yours? And you're, you re it's just very hard for people to get the right information. I mean, to just get enough information to be like, okay, how do I feel about it? You know, we have emotional responses to things and then you die on that hill. 
And I have been there, you know, like this is, and when me and AJ talk too, it's like, you guys, if this upsets you, if you hear something that's like, you immediately get defensive or you get upset, good. But don't just all of a sudden stick to how you feel because it totally sucks. You know, when you have an emotional response to something, like something really makes you mad or upsets you or whatever. But the truth is, and this is a hard pill to swallow. I've had to, I swallow it all the time. Every time I get upset about something, just because you feel a certain way does not make it true. It doesn't make that what you experienced or what you think correct, but you have a reason like you, everyone's entitled to feel the way we feel, but do we want to keep getting better and more knowledgeable and understand things better? Or do we just want to, I just want to sit and be a victim and be mad. And that's like, collectively, that's what I feel and see everywhere. Like not just online, like around town. Yeah, and and I think- that I think is what needs to change is people need to be able to take responsibility, know that it's okay. If you've been doing something the wrong way, it's okay if you're willing to learn more so you can become better or know more, you know, have a better understanding of what's going on versus just kind of staying where you are and misery loves company. So if you're around a lot of people that also just don't want to f- understand things more, they just want to bitch and complain about it, you're going to be stuck in that place for a very long time. And all you got to do is know that it's okay to take responsibility be accountable and honestly relearn Critical thinking. Like people well, need to critical think way more often. Well, and it's to me, it's taking back our personal power because what you just said to me that like we create consciously or con- consciously, we're creating our ra- reality at all times. And so many people want to want to project out and see what they've and, and here's what the the power of what you just said, Brooke, is that as soon as you embody that and you flip everything kind of on yourself and not in a way that you beat yourself up, but that you realize. I'm probably contributing to any environment I find myself in. I helped contribute to that. So if it's really good, you should, you should look at that and say, hey, I've made some right decisions. I've internally reflected in a way that has allowed me to create an environment I feel grounded and safe in. But if, you're all, if you find yourself, and this is like a big indicator for me of somebody who has not reached a, a, maybe a level of wisdom or just self-reflection yet, if you're constantly complaining about the people and places in your life's a shit show, there's some internal reflection that has to take place and there should be grace through that. It's not like you should beat yourself oh, up yeah. and say, no. but, but there, like there, if a, it, as a culture, we can start to empower ourselves to say, wait a second, maybe I should stop pointing the finger around and look at what my day looks like. Look at my, what my thoughts look like on a day-to-day basis. As soon as you recognize the power you have to change that, you stop pointing the finger because you're like, holy shit, there's so many things internally that I need to clean up because I've created this around me. So, but that takes, and, and you touched on it, that takes an insane level of humility, courage, and also just discipline then to actually stick to it because our minds are tricky and our thoughts create these stories that are hard to break free from. So yeah, I, I could not agree more. And I think it, it, it does, it relates to all of this, but I, and Brooke, I would ask you and AJ, are you guys, are you um, are you still optimistic on on kind of where we're going as a culture? Because it to me, and I'll give you mine. So it, since you asked, um, <laughs> just um, is that although it seems to be bubbling to a head right now, I remain extremely optimistic because I think as with any new system, when it's arising, there's going to be a moment of chaos. And I think the internet, social media, COVID, all of these things, although could be viewed as like this big negative kind of thing. 
I actually think are good because it's bringing things to the surface that we as a people need to address. And that's actually a beautiful thing. Now, it's going to be chaos while you're in it, but there's going to be new things that arise. And I actually think the food thing that you guys are be doing is a is one of those little one of those little branches that's going to arise from it. So I'll get out of uh, my soapbox and ask you guys, do you remain kind of optimistic um, on on the kind of the grander uh, what we just talked about, Brooke? I think that I, I am optimistic. Um, if anyone else, like people that are listening, my optimism, optimism comes from if we as a people are optimistic together and we are voting with our dollars and we are fighting the good fight and paying attention to things that are really going on versus being like, ah, I don't want to know about it. I'm just comfortable in my life and I do my stuff and, you know, I like the government help, like all these things, you know, people, we, the people do have power, but we only have power together. We don't have power when we're separated. And that's exactly what they're doing. That's exactly what keeps the people that's in power. They can keep just doing their bullshit and, and they function outside of real life, you know? And that's where I say, you know, when you talk about, you know, this idea, cause we don't ever, we don't t- truly know. Right. Um, is it a grand evil scheme? I mean, I think it is, but I don't think that, you know, maybe it's not in the same way that I perceive it. But again, in my mind, and what I say is it doesn't matter. Okay. You function outside of what real life is for majority of people that live here. You, they don't abide by the same rules. They don't have the same health care. They don't have to eat the same food. They have underground bunkers. They have top of the line, whatever. They get anything that they need. So it sucks because we are pawns. We don't have a say, but they can make, you know, they can play their game of chess and they still function outside of the real world. But we don't have a say. We are just in it and it sucks and it's uncomfortable. And so the only thing we can do is more people be, have humility, take responsibility and just consider. Like if you're someone who's like, I love Bill Gates, okay, that's fine. You love your computer and he does a lot of, he's done a lot of great stuff in his past or whatever and done a lot of evil shit. But all I'm saying is if you can just consider the possibility that whatever someone else is saying, or maybe they're opposing your thought, if you just consider that some of that must have some truth in it, you can now have a conversation with somebody who you don't see eye to eye eye with. And it's just considering that they're not an idiot considering that what their opinion or thought is built on came from something worth looking into. It doesn't mean that they're right hundred percent, but just opening the door to say, I'm going to consider the possibility that what you're saying has some truth and now I'm going to go and read about it and I'm going to go look into it. It doesn't need to be this being at opposition constantly, but that is where we're at. If people can understand that, recognize it, and say, okay, let's have a conversation, regardless of our sides or our views or whatever, if we can all agree that we're all in a system that we don't get to really control, we get to control our day-to-day, we get to vote with our dollars, we get to see where we're paying attention. Like, do we care about our agriculture? We should, (laughs) because when it's gone, it's gone. You know, we can talk about, and AJ can touch on it, but like the number of processing facilities we even have in the States, not very many. Yeah, we have plenty of beef, 
But if you can't process it and they're importing everything and you've got companies that aren't even from America and they're buying up a bunch of beef and exporting it. The second, if we allow for it to get too crazy and we keep losing our ranchers and producers like at the rate we are losing them right now, we won't have the option to be self-sufficient. It will be gone. You know, and so if you're so far removed from rural life or you're so far removed from our food supply system, it's okay. But if you can just, man, believe this, it is an issue and we do need to do something about it. It's an issue and we need to do something about it before it's too late. And if you think that it's not really an issue, I'm telling you, it is. And if you think that it's a conspiracy theory of like the extremes that are being talked about and possibilities, just because they seem extreme doesn't mean that you just, you kind of like continue to say, I'll do it next time. I'll, I'll, I'll order from them next time. I'll help them next time. We don't want to get to the extremes. We don't want to get to a point where we're like, it's over. My yeah. five, my five generation ranch is gone. Everything I ever loved and known is gone. I have no opportunity to self, be self-sufficient, take care of myself. How am I going to teach my kids these skills that I learned from my mother, from my grandmother? It will be gone. And so I urge you to think about the extreme because we don't want to get there, but we are on the road to get there. Let's not let that happen. You know, and that's why me and AJ are so passionate about what we do. I have a deep love for my heritage, nostalgia. I love nature. I love horses. I love cows. I just love it. I love it so much. And it's, I know it's not for everybody, but everyone loves good, healthy food. Mm-hmm. Everyone loves to know that what they're eating is, is, good for them. You know, well, I mean, most people, I'm going to assume that everybody cares about that. When you, uh, when you talk about optimism, I have optimism in the long-term outcome. Like you were saying, I think it's going to get real uncomfortable for a lot of people, but I have optimism in the long-term result of what, what's coming. Um, you know, there's a, there in 1932 to 33 in Soviet Russia, they had what's called the Holodomor, and Holodomor stands for death by starvation. So what happened was is Stalin went after all of their food producers and put it into a collective, which has been my, – my greatest fear is if we lose our small privately owned farms and ranches, what do you have left? What are the options? It's, an, it's, a, it's a bigger oligopoly than what we already see, right? It, it's worse than 85%. It's all of it. And so it's either state-run or private entity that's got special interests and and backdoor deals with federal, you know, like JBS, for example, they're trying to go public. That is the worst thing that could happen in my mind, because what happens, we already know that our politicians are investing behind doors into things that they know that they have a a special hand in. So now our food system is going to be even more corrupt because politicians are investors in a public company, publicly traded company that dominates the world already. Right. And so that's like the worst case scenario. So I think so in Soviet Russia, 1932 to 33 estimates 3.5 million people starved to death. And it was intentional by Stalin. Those people, by the way, were the rural farmers and ranchers. That's that's who starved to death. They said, we're going to put everything into the collective. Basically, it's the king's food. If you touch it, we're going to kill you. And they did. They wiped them out. And when they and then in, in addition to that, it's like the Hunger Games. They surrounded these rural communities with soldiers so that they could not leave their community to go find food. And so they completely and this is 32 to 33 population numbers. We're talking 
you know, billions more people from that time. And so when we say it's going to get uncomfortable, like we're, we're right up to the line. Like it sucks. I mean, I was playing a little clip for my, my kids and they're, I'm like, what'd you think? And they're like, that's scary. And I'm like, God dang, I don't want it to be so doom and gloom, but we are right there. And with what Brooke and I are developing, part of me is like, you know what? Is it even, are we too late? But then that's just not who we are. So we're like, we're just going to keep pushing forward because as uncomfortable as it can possibly get, what if the things that we're working on and what other people are working on is what actually helps us get through that next transition that we're facing? You know, our, so let's just run it by the numbers because this is why the optimism is really tough right now. Like Brooke was saying, in the year 2000, we had 10,000 slaughterhouses across the nation. We now have 2,500. 2,500 slaughter facilities is all we have left in our nation. The big four that control 85% of our food supply, of our beef supply chain, they roughly have only 20. So 20 slaughterhouses, these are behemoths. They're, pros they're slaughtering 6,000 head of cattle a day. When one of those goes down, what do you think that does to our supply chain? That's how vulnerable we are. In 2019, a huge slaughterhouse burnt down. There was a shift in the marketplace. You could see it. One slaughterhouse that was so big, all of a sudden prices went boop. And those take a long damn time to build, by the way. You can't just like, oh shit, what do we do? Let's go build another one. Okay, yeah, we'll see that in three years. People are hungry right now, right? 2001, right after COVID, hackers hacked into one of the major packers. They had to pay an $11 million ransom to release their software so they could keep doing business. We're, we're centralized. We are we are as vulnerable as we have ever been as a nation, and it's our food supply. Human beings, this is, what, this is what we're trying to get people to understand. Human beings need three things, food, shelter, safety. Those are the three most basic human needs. And 99 For people listening, water, water's in there with food. People are like, <clears throat> and yeah. water. Yeah. I always four, hear that. Four yeah. things. But uh, – we, we need those those three basic things, and most people aren't paying attention to that, right? They need their TikTok. They need their Netflix streaming. They need their Disney account. They need their their Amazon Prime. Like, that's the things they're thinking about. But I'm like, you guys have no idea how vulnerable our supply chain is still. Like, after COVID, I would estimate that we're only about 75% recovered as a whole for a supply chain post-COVID. And we're still on shaky ground. So... Long-term, yes, I have optimism. I think long-term, people in this country will do what people in this country have always done. They they rose to the occasion, they rallied, and they went to work, right? I think that's what we see. The question is, how bad does it get before then? Because if the whole lot of more was by intention or just by poor policy that kind of led up to a bad experience, doesn't fucking matter. Three and a half million people died. Doesn't matter if it was intentional or by accident. Yeah, I mean, for me... You know, sometimes I think about like, all right, if I were to red cell against the United States, how do you take it down? Right. Um, and I was just while you all were talking, taking down like just off the cuff notes. And, and one of them, of course, is destroy the, the food supply. Right. And, and I think that, you know, we talk about Bill Gates and Tony, you give him a little bit more credit than I would. Like, oh, I'm sure it's well intended. I, I wouldn't go so far and say that. I would say when guys are making billions of dollars to make the assumption that like their next billion they're trying to make is like virtuous is complete shit. These guys yeah. are power hungry. And, and I think this is a more pessimistic view. 
that if, if you, some of these guys, they're, they're told, hey, you can make another $4 billion from this initiative, but it's going to fuck over a bunch of other people, but you'll get even more power than you already have. They're doing it, right? So that's a classic example of like, hey, Bill, why don't you buy up all this farm uh, land and like get all these little ranchers out of business so we can consolidate power? Oh, and then we're not going to actually ranch. We're going to start growing synthetic food and not have, you know, you have cows that fart now and you know, the, the, like climate change, blah, 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 blah. Like, you know what I mean? I, I don't, I personally don't believe it's virtuous at all. I think it's a pure money play and power play. Right. So well, I, think I, think, they, I think it's being stuck in like a lack for a better word, thinking he can play God. That There you, know? you go. Yeah. That's what there it is. I mean, that's an issue and that he's going to learn whether it's here or later that that's not his job. And when you have, I, this is an assumption, but I will be honest, I, I read people fairly well. And my assumption about someone like him or people in that same realm of money and power is you get these ideas and you've also got, you know, probably all these years and people behind you just be praising you. You're the best, you know, everything. And then they're following you and you say stuff and you do it and people are like, okay. And then you have power to almost force people to do it. Right. They don't even have to consider it or question it. They don't have an option. And then all of a sudden, if you think like, no, it'd be better like this and the world would be better like this. It's like, well, we're going to go there because I know that this is better for, for the world and better for America. And there's going to be some casualties, you know, but we're going to do it and we're going to lead it. It's like, oh, then just, uh, we'll all just go fuck ourselves then. Yeah. And I think same thing with politicians, right? It's like, you know, I would say kind of the green initiative is another big one. It's like, okay, it seems well intended. Like if, if people think climate change is real, like, okay, I get it. We got to pivot to all these new like renewable energies and stuff. And it's like, okay, you think it's virtuous. People in Washington are hedging their investments in front of these subsidies that are, they're not going to subsidize the green industry. And all of a sudden, oh, guess what? Nancy Pelosi's brother-in-law is on the board at this new green energy. You know what I mean? That's now getting pumped like hundreds of millions of dollars from the, the, the bill that she just signed. Or You know what I mean? And it's like, guys, exactly. it's not, they don't have a strong moral compass. So stop acting like, oh, like we got to get rid of fossil fuels because like, you know, wind and solar and all these new things, you know, we got to, you know, it's like government subsidies can be good when, when done right, but to make the assumption that it's virtuous and it's, oh, it's to save, you know, society is complete bullshit. And, it, you know, again, that's another way you destroy a country from within. Destroy the energy sector. Convince everyone that the world is melting, so we need to get away from fossil fuels, which we know is the most reliable source of fuel, right? Get all these oil guys out of business because you make it less economical for them to actually stand up new infrastructure in the oil industry, pivot to these wind, solar, et cetera. And before you know it, you have no reliable energy in the country and boom, there's another hit on you. So you destroy the food supply, you destroy the energy reliability. Um, you teach the youth to hate America in school, right? And so hate themselves. Yeah. And so there's no pride in country. You destroy, destroy masculinity. So when it's time to fight a war, you have a bunch of beta males that only play TikTok. You know what I mean? With men, so and we all have, we all have mental health problems. So. Um, and then, um, you know, you infiltrate, you know, here's another one. This is a little bit more tinfoil hat, but as, as, as you know, these, you have talked, identify the big four kind of entities that control the food supply. And, and then you have these big actors, the Soros's, the Bill Gates, et cetera, that are able to use their financial resources to really influence policy. Um, it's like, okay, let's red sell this for a second. What if one of these guys is getting blackmailed by another uh, government entity? Right. What mm -hmm. if there's a video of Bill Gates doing something completely abhorrent that they've been holding over his head for 20 years and they say, hey, Bill, here's the deal. You're going to buy up all the farmland. We're going to control you. You're a pawn. And again, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but you could see how easily if I was like a non-state actor, 
That'd be the first thing I do. I'm going to go blackmail billionaire that can, that is heavily influenced in that society. And boom, now I'm the one pulling the puppet strings in the background. Right. So again, it's like, what, what are the real intentions? Who's actually controlling the narrative? Is it, is it bill or is it someone in China that has a video of him doing something crazy? And that's like Although, the wild part about the Epstein Bill's pretty stuff. good with computers. You know, yeah, Bill, well, the, could, Bill could be the guy that's like, hey, I hacked into your computer and I got videos of you doing some real weird shit. Yeah. So, you know, and again, it's it seems like a stretch, but it's not that much of a stretch. Right now, I hope oh, no. at our central intelligence day, I hope we're doing the same shit to other countries. I hope we're, you know, infiltrating them and blackmailing these guys. And I mean, that's how you affect your enemies. Right. Um, so I'm sure that these other countries, you can only make the assumption that every country that's against us, I mean, if they better be trying it, otherwise they're not a real adversary. I mean, we, I hope, hope to God we are. And then the last well, one back is just, into that, back in 2008, you had Obama that made it legal to use propaganda against American citizens. So, you know, that's something that changed that was snuck in there. Why would you make it legal to use propaganda in America if you weren't going to use propaganda in America? If you wanted to tell us the truth, why would you make it legal? Why would you turn it around? Oh, I wonder if it's because you guys are just trying to make some money. Yeah. And you want us to only see the things that you want us to see. And that's exactly where we are. When in their book, that's like to me, because everything we're saying, yes, but we're almost now doing and it, it's it's like I'm saying this comically, like we're almost doing a little bit of what I just said is very dangerous to project out onto the world what's wrong with the world. And it's not that we're like these conversations are important, but I think at least my own compass for for how to navigate is to turn it inward, meaning what can I do with myself and my surrounding community to embody what I think destroys everything we're talking about because if 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 i do it and then another person does it in my in my close network then they influence three people that person influences three people we no, have the, the numbers are there so if a bunch of individuals embody and once again it's a it's a compliment to you guys if we get back and and, and by no means do i view it as a digression we, we can't go back to what we were doing in 1400 all living in rural farms now we can definitely disperse but to me, and, and, and it might sound a little overly utopian or delusionally optimistic, is that there is a way to integrate these technologies, these networks with old ancient traditions that are innate in our DNA. There's an integration that can happen where we aren't reliant on Big Daddy to take care of us. And we then, then all the individuals don't even have to sit and bitch about Big Daddy because they are obsolete. And I think actually Patrick Bet David recently I was listening to and, and he's a more political podcast, but he boiled it down to, and, and he had he has like a research team of 15 people for the podcast, that there are actually only 10,000 individuals. Like if you would, the people we're talking about, Bill Gates, Soros, the World Economic Forum, there's actually only 10,000 people in the entire world that are on the level of influence that they think can, can, can shift and change economies. So I say that because I think it's important for us to realize as people is that that's 10,000 people out oh, no, of it's the eight, truth. Bi there's, 8 billion. So if there's we way more of us than there yes, are of them, yes, that's it, why it's like, we just need to come together. Yes. Really. And if it, and if it starts to happen, like it, that picks up so much momentum. And then you see, I mean, look, what look what the fucking group of 150 dudes did back in 1700 when they came over here from Britain. It's like, it doesn't take a lot. And once that picks oh. up steam and momentum, like it, it, it can, it can get a, a, a momentum that it doesn't matter how powerful you are. And now, there's the chaos we talk about, AJ, is that there's going to be resistance. There's going to be, there's going to be, but if the numbers in the, in the, just the overwhelming amount of people are in, 
at least the, the same realm of thought, it doesn't matter how powerful you are at that point because they're reliant oh, exactly. on our energy. That, that's, mm -hmm. and, and you could look at it as money or attention. That's, that's how we stay captured is if our dollar and our, our mind, our actual like energy goes to them, that's how they stay mm -hmm. in power. If that gets yeah. removed, guess what? They lose that. The, the challenge though is that they do such a good job of preoccupying and, oh, and creating decisions for sure, for sure. that these conversations are micro conversations that like, yeah. how do you scale that? So the average Joe Schmo knows what the hell we're even talking about. Right. But it's uh, happening. And that Joe, like even no, the Rogans and helps. stuff, they're it, doing it. It helps. Yeah. But yep. you know, when, when you're able to control the narrative, particularly with social media, now that was like the last bullet I had for destroying, you know, a country it's like control the narrative. Right. So if, if Instagram and TikTok control every basically 90% of media that every American consumes and all they can do is turn a dial on the back end to turn down the the, the Brook and the AJs of the world and turn up these ultra crazies on you know on the other side that are pushing blah blah you know this this and this before you know it the perceived public opinion uh is completely changed and then TikTok it's like it's owned by China that's even crazier because now you have a, a, an adversary of the United States that can literally control it in two seconds. You don't think they're baiting us all in to become addicted to a platform. And then when it's time to strike, they're going to completely change the content that's on the platform. Is that not as obvious but as it, it gets? But it's still about look at somebody like Joe Rogan. If it were truly just that, he wouldn't have a voice. When, when the money transcends that, guess what? They're still controlled by the money. So that's why I say you get enough people. No, I, then, thank God for Rogan. Yeah, thank yeah. God for Elon Musk. Yeah, Elon exactly. Musk in this world, this conversation with the Gates and the Swords, he might be our last stand. You know what I mean? Because he oh, doesn't yeah. give a shit. And he, he's the one that'll go against it. He won't be like, oh, okay, yeah, let's go make another 10 billion. That sounds good. No, I think he'll do the right thing. So yeah. thank God we have guys like him mm -hmm. um, in, the, in the Rogans that like, hey, I mean, Rogan now is obviously a massive platform. So, and he's able to kind of cut against the grain and talk about, and he's, you know, I feel like he takes stances, but he also entertains a lot of different opinions. For sure. That's yeah. why it's cool. Because yeah. he kind of opens up your mind and your own viewpoints like Brooke's talking about. But well, I don't it's know. It's good to see. Yeah. yeah. More optimism is just seeing people like that, that are, or like Tucker Carlson, man, I love Tucker Carlson, but you're seeing people that had money and a job and this life, and they believe in what needs to be done so much that they're sacrificing being able to possibly take care of their family. Like I've heard Tucker Carlson talk about it, like how much money they people lose the strikes they take, right? The strikes you get on Spotify, the strikes we get on YouTube uh, for just saying COVID or you can't even say certain words, you know? But I mean, hats off and I'm so grateful for people like that that are also willing to sacrifice their personal comfort because it has to be done. I mean, and you asked me, Bear, like how I've, <laughs> at a certain point, I did start like just sharing a lot more things on social media that are, I don't think they're controversial. They shouldn't be. They're about, you know, the health and the reality of our, our life and the importance of paying attention to what is good and being humble and it's okay to have been wrong. And here's what we got to look towards. Right. I basically just, it was the kids for me. I am. Oh, my nephew's watching me. One sec, breaking boy. Um, <laughs> I have a lot of nieces and nephews. I'm the youngest of four. And I don't have kids and I love them so much and they're all in school and seeing and hearing and reading and really, truly being able to objectively look at what was being done and is being done um, to our youth really pissed me off. 
I mean, I don't give a shit about who follows me at this point. I can get a job. I build businesses. That's what I do. And sometimes they work and sometimes they fail. That's what happens when you're an entrepreneur. You know, me and AJ are going after this. Could it blow up in our face? Maybe. Are we too late? Maybe. But we won't know if we don't try. And what I do know is I can always work and I will get a job. And I do not need to be scared. You know, I think people forget that like we have influence and, and it offers us security, financial security, and it offers us opportunity. And we become a slave to that system without realizing it. You start making little decisions based on how it will affect people that follow you. We change what we're saying because it's based on, ooh, I, I mean, I believe this, but maybe I won't put it out there just because I don't want to ruffle anyone's feathers. Like, I'm just, I, I'm trying to make my money too. I'm trying to pay my bills. And what I came, what I came face to face with is like, I do have a platform way smaller than a lot of people. I may lose a lot of followers and I have lost, you know, a decent amount and I've gained some too. But I could not. When I see what people need to do and I see that you need to stand up and I see that it's important that you open your mouth, I had to do it. So I'm doing it. And I'm every day, every, every time I post something or I think about like, oh man, like, am I, who might I be upsetting in like my realm of work? And I get a little bit worried because I'm like, man, it's not just me, right? Like I'm standing up, but there's people that work with me and I, that I work with that it's, it could be affecting them too. And that scares me. But I cannot, I truly believe like this is not a time where I, like if I needed to be as selfless as possible, it's now. And it's not about me. It's about my community. It's about my sisters. It's about my nieces and my nephews. It's about people that I don't know. It's about families, you know, and it matters to me. And that's why I've been basically like a, if I have an inclination to like share information because it was important to me. I'm like, oh man, more people need to hear this or more people need to see this just to consider it, just to have an idea of like what's going on. I post that shit. And yeah, then I just go, and I go, Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> don't look at the let comments. Let me speak to some of that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I yeah, don't yeah, read comments. Yeah, yeah. Post and ghost. You know, the, the, the opportunity we have is just to create a new sandbox. We, I don't want to play in the sandbox they've already created. You know, this is the fastest our, uh, uh, in human history that a food supply system has fallen apart. I mean, this has only been our system as we know it started right after World War II. The the get bigger, get out, the green revolution. Like that's how long it's been around and it's already crumbling. It's less than a hundred years. We're talking in 80 years, a system that we attempted is now falling apart. Have it. It's on the way out. We're going to create something new. And the new is Parallel economies, places for people who get to choose where they're going to spend their dollars and what impact that has. You know, this what what Brooke was saying is is um, is all true, and it's why we, as an organization, we are going to grow this in a way that doesn't that is not influenced um, by ROI as the sole decision making uh, uh, consideration, like that, because that's. I'm a capitalist. I believe in the opportunity to start a business and make money and then reap the rewards of that effort and the and the sacrifice and the risk. But I also believe in conscious capitalism. In other words, everybody around me that helped us get there should be benefiting, right? I shouldn't be making trillions of dollars flying around on a private jet when the people that work for me at the bottom level can't even afford to keep their lights on. Like that's that is not conscious capitalism. And so in in, in and also in that 
if everything we do, if all the decisions we create are made around how do we make more money, we're going to make decisions that put us right back to where we control everything because that's that's why we are in the, the position we're in. So like Brooke and I, we're building a team with people that only believe that we should speak out for the things that matter and be damned what the consequences are because we're not going to be self-censored, right? And we're also not bringing anybody into our ecosystem that that when this – when when people choose to buy through our parallel economy because I mean that's the power that every individual citizen citizen has is where you spend your money and that affects things in real time and a good example of that is beyond meat uh, impossible burger they tanked they they had all of this trumped up uh valuation that that meant nothing at the end of the day because we the consumers got to choose where they were going to buy that shit and so they fell apart they tanked we don't want to build a company that anybody around us is influenced by the the dollar alone because what we do know is we believe that when we build an economy like we are doing where you can buy right from the producers that grew your food so you know what's in there, you know that it's always going to be there. That's the other thing. Sometimes people are like, oh, you're just going to build a list for the government to go and shut them down. Well, listen, they've already got that list, but you know who doesn't? You, the citizen. You don't know where your closest farmer and rancher is. You haven't shaken their hand. You're the one who needs them, and you don't know where they're at. So what we're doing is connecting the two of you because if there's a worst-case scenario and we get wiped out by an EMP, if you've shaken their hand, you know how to find them. That's the – that's the you know, our worst-case scenario goal is that we've connected enough Americans that in the very worst-case scenario – you could at least walk down the road a few miles and meet them halfway and shake their hand and thank them for the food that you're going to go put on your family's plate. And if they need you, because like a lot of people saw this video floating around of the Amish uh, farmer being uh, harassed by their the local the local government, right? If that guy has a, a hot button to every one of the families that he is feeding, now he has a real shot to put pressure on a corrupt USDA for trying to shut him down for, for selling raw milk. If he's got a thousand people, he can say, I need your help. And they show up. That guy has a real shot to keep providing food for you. We are fragmented and we are, we are split apart. If we can bring consumers together with producers, we have a real shot and then build on a corporate, uh, build a company that is built on ethics and morals so that when JBS shows up with a billion dollar check, we don't have a VC breathing down our neck that says we're selling out. It ain't happening. We can't put ourselves in that position. We have an opportunity to do something. Uh, Bear, you said something earlier too about the the intentions. I think the intentions are intellectual property for food, food IP. I think that's what's trying to be done here. If they can vilify natural growing food or things like you know livestock, just like the pharmaceutical industry has done to chemical compounds, the reason cannabis is illegal, the reason psilocybin has been going through the battles, all of these natural medicines that we know heal and then you don't need pharmaceuticals anymore, you, you make them illegal and now your only option is to buy what I have the right to manufacture. That's happening with food. In India, they fought against Monsanto trying to push into intellectual property on seeds. We've had examples of that already happen in our country. There was a famous case where two neighboring two farmers neighboring each other. One of them was growing GMO modified Monsanto modified corn and the other neighbor was not. The seeds from the GMO modified corn blew over to the neighbor's farm and started germinating. 
he got sued and lost because he was growing intellectual property on his property. He lost. <laughs> this is what we're up against. So it sounds like to simplify the model, you basically, you guys are connecting the consumer and producer in a seamless manner that cuts out the middleman and, and, and makes it, you know, kind of a, it creates more economic opportunity for these small farmers. Um, sorry, sorry. My, my chocolate lab's barking at me. Outside. Um, and, and, and obviously, you know, I think that's a huge advantage for the farmers. Cause I would imagine some of these guys like probably they're really good at ranching. Right. But they're, you know, they maybe aren't as connected on, on that side of it. Right. So if there's a seamless way to connect people like us, and we can go down to the farm and, and, and get it right there. Um, I mean, that's an incredible solution you guys are offering. And yeah, I mean, I, I know you buy, you, you got a farmer guy, you know, that's, I used to, when I was back in Indiana, old man, Apple, I'd go down there once a week and get my four gallons of raw milk. Um, I bought a cow share, right. And he would always be in there. I, you know, I'd always shake his hand and say hello and, you know, met his family and stuff. Like I would literally drive to rural part of Indianapolis and buy it. Right. And I thought that was awesome. Um, so like, I think it's, it's a great thing you guys are doing. I, I hope you guys are able to get the word out. I, I, I anticipate maybe a challenge in reaching some of these farmers, especially if you're like, Hey, old man, Apple, we got this cool app thing. And the old man, Apple's going to be like, I don't even know what an app is. The old man, Apple's using a flip <laughs> phone. You know what I mean? So I, I anticipate maybe a challenge for you guys there, but, but if, you know, and of course that's for you guys to solve, but the, the premise of the business model is fascinating. Um, and I sure hope it, it catches on because I do think more and more people are talking and more people like if I'm raising a, you're raising a family, like going and buying the meat from a farm 10 minutes down the road or, you know, even if you got to go out a little bit further. Wow, that just seems like such a better scenario than buying it from one of the big four that, you know, you know who knows where it came from and how it was, you know, all that. So I mean, I, props to you guys. I, I didn't know a whole lot about this going into this and kind of, you know, with the notes and everything, this is just a fascinating topic. And it's, I think it's one of many vulnerabilities that we look at when we look at our country, like we're talking about the red cell example, like we really need to be careful because all of a sudden that check engine light's going to go on and it's going to be too late. Um, and then it's every man for himself. Um, and then yep. thank God you better be one of those people that is prepared. Um, and you know, for me, you know, cause I have a daughter now, that's, that's one of the things that I always think about is like, okay, I need to be prepared for worst case scenario. So if that does happen, I, I'm, I'm good, but I know most people don't think like that. They're, they're too deep in their Netflix and being out of shape. And, and you know what I mean? They're not ready to E and E into the, into the mountains and, you know, live on uh, MREs and you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> they didn't happen. And, um, and I'm, you know, there's, you know, you might, the, the, the whole prepper community, all that, but I'm not, I, you know, I haven't gone that far, but I yeah. absolutely have a plan. And I think COVID I wish was, I would have a COVID I wish I um, <laughs> was a scary one because it, that, that was the one that really kind of um, put me on alert because I, you know, I hadn't, you know, of course, you know, I have weapons and I'm, I have all these, you know, I have stashes of money and the, like, I have some basic stuff, but, but by no means did I have like a plan to activate if something goes south. And it was such a silly example, but COVID, it was like the toilet paper thing, right? You know what I mean? Like, you know, and I guess, yeah, obviously you could figure that one out, but if it had got bigger and, you know, of course there was food supply thing, but imagine, you know, imagine if the, the fatality rate of a, of a global pandemic was 20%, right? imagine if that had happened, what was it like 0.001? And, you know, we can, we don't have to get rabbit hole of what COVID actually was, but imagine if we got a real pandemic where, you know, one out of five that got it died. Imagine the pandemonium that wouldn't, wouldn't kind of ensue because it's, it's every man for themselves at that point. You know what I mean? And so I just, that opened my eyes to, okay, Hey, you need to be a little bit more prepared. 
but to kind of hear from you guys who are more um, in on, on one of those vulnerabilities being, you know, kind of our food supply, it's, it's a little bit scary, but, but, you know, props to you guys for standing that up and it, and it makes total sense. It really does. I just hope these, these bigger, um, you know, kind of entities that can influence Like you said, I hope it's not too late. Um, because like you said, one of these entities gets compromised and who's to say they aren't already, um, mm-hmm. then, you know, what happens? Um, if, if Bill Gates is able to cons- uh, convince everyone in this country that we need to stop, you know, farming because it's, you know, affecting the glaciers melting, which is going to make the world end, blah, blah, blah. So therefore we should synthetically produce this underground and there's going to be no, you know, climate impact, blah, blah, blah. If he can convince 50% of our population that that's the method, and then they all vote for the idiot in the white house who then pushes it. Right. Then there you go. We're, we're toast. Yep. You know what I mean? And then, and then mm-hmm. the farmer, then now he's not allowed to, to ranch, right? Because yeah. hey, the climate change is ending. And it's like, to me, we talked about this before, but at what point do these climate change predictions have to continue to not come true until we are actually allowed to just dissent against it a little bit and say, wait, hold on. Like, what about all the people in the scientific world who dissent against this that aren't given a voice, right? If you look back to some of the predictions in the early 2000s, it's like in 2015, this is going to happen. And it's like, everyone's like, oh my God. And then it doesn't happen. And in 2020, this is going to happen. Then it doesn't happen. And then 2030, everything's going to be underwater. Coastal communities, these cities are going to be off the map and it doesn't happen. It's like, all right, guys, let's take care of the environment and let's be conscious of it. But, but at what point are we allowed to be like, okay, what's going on here? And, and, and where it's risky is like when policy is being affected by these things, right? If, if, if it was real, 100% consensus, all right, got it, let's make some dramatic changes. But when it's still, hey, that might not be a real thing. Maybe we shouldn't go away from burning fossil fuels and farming and you know, all these things because, hey, if it's not true, then we're screwed. If, if at the end of the day, we don't. So anyway, I'm, I'm, going, I'm rambling, but. But it's, a, it's, <laughs> but it's, it's all true. Yeah. yeah and, there, and there's, it's a fear distraction. And I think we kicked off, or maybe it was before we were alive, but why, why are we not talking about the soils? Why are we not talking about how contaminated our water has become with, with chemicals and plastic? Like those are the actual things that could, and, and, there, and there are solutions and there. As you said, there are experts that have a voice and, and know a thousand times more than I do, but it gets drowned out by these fear, by a, a, an overall arching fear mongering perception that just keeps people in a state of fear as opposed to like, hey, here's the actual things that, that we can change. And then here's a plan to make that happen. So. Well, and yeah, control yeah, and yeah, control, yeah. you know, like during, during COVID, there were plenty of doctors and people that were giving, like putting out really good data and information. And what did they do? They were silenced or they were made to be made people think like they're an idiot and they're actually, we're going to take their, their right to practice, um, practice medicine away and all these things. They're conspiracy theorists. Like we're in a situation where everything is every, about media, Right. A bunch of consumers and the ability to quiet someone so easily. That's, I mean, that's the other thing, you know, and again, like the only way to combat that I think is being willing to consider that someone who doesn't see something the same as you be willing to consider that maybe they have some ground to stand on. Maybe not all of it, but might be worth looking into, you know, it's sad that it, and it's usually a prey on like, Uh, I think a genuine caring of humans. And what I mean by that is like during COVID, like, oh, you don't care about grandma then. If you choose to believe this way, you don't care about grandma. Or in the food example, you don't care about the earth if you don't subscribe to this exact way of thinking. So they kind of, it's like a gaslighting way to to convince people like, no, this is it. When in reality, it's like, no, I care dearly about us as a species in the COVID example. And then I care dearly about our earth. 
I just don't think what you're saying is the actual solution. And that that's what's sad because in Brooke, you've said it several times. It's like this will ruffle feathers when they hear it. But I don't want it to come across as like, oh, like we, we shouldn't care about the earth. It's it's not that it's that the narrative that's being pushed is actually silly. And I'm sure you guys who are on the front line of caring about the earth, if you're saying that it's like there should be a reflection there as to like, damn, why the hell are they saying this all the time then? And, and as soon as you start to ask that question, you start to peel back the layers. And that's that's what it, it, it is frustrating, though, because it preys on a very like human element of us to want to care about things. Do you totally. know what I mean? Spot on. Yeah. Spot on. Yeah, and, it's it. Go ahead, Bear. Well, I was just going to, you know, Brooke, you brought up a good point with like now that there's kids in the mix. And I think that same thing happened for me. You know what I mean? Because now you're looking to the next generation and it's almost like a all right, we have an obligation to alter the course here um, or they're going to inherit a situation that we, we might not even recognize. So that was like that, that, that really resonated with me. And I don't remember if it was Sage Steele or Riley Gaines. I thought one of them, I, one of them said, I think, you know, so fear is contagious, but so is courage. Yeah. Right. And, and I'm, I, I'm sensing it, a changing in the tide because more and more people are starting to speak out and realizing, Oh, like other people think like this, even though I don't see it in the media, I don't see it on social media. You talk to everyone and you realize that the the perception of public opinion that is being projected onto us is wildly inaccurate. And everyday good, God-fearing people, they, they don't subscribe to any of that bullshit. So don't be afraid to talk about it because you you are in the majority. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. You know what I mean? And maybe it's just because those people never talk to me. I don't know. Maybe they see <laughs> this, you know, you know, knuckle dragon tattooed guy that, Oh, he, you know what I mean? But I, I don't know. In five years, I've not talked to a single person that I'm friends with that actually subscribes to any of these beliefs. So finally, and it was like, all right, guys, like, why are we all afraid to talk about it? Because the, the perception is wrong. You know what I mean? And I think we're starting to see that the dominoes of courage are starting to fall. Um, and I think that will, you know, result in a correction and, you know, props to you guys. And, you know, Brooke, I know you have a big platform on social. Like you, you are one of those people that finally was like, screw it. I have an obligation, take it or leave it. But that, that makes people, the everyday person that follows you like, oh, I'm not the only one who thinks that Brooke think that's Brooke. Well, that definitely that happened. Yeah. When right? I was in Thailand, so, I just, I mean, there was all kinds of shit. And I just, yeah. every time I saw something, it was not my fault that I kept seeing banger after banger that I had to share, <laughs> you know, it was like, yeah. Yeah. and on one day I did a video and I was like, man, it's a good thing that I don't have really sponsors because I am a PR nightmare, aren't I? <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. And I like, I had put a story and I was like, Hey guys, I, I know I've just been posting like reposting a lot and I have whatever. And I got the response from messages were keep posting keep posting, keep posting. And I know that there are people that don't want me to post, you know, real life stuff. And they usually send me a message that says unfollow. And I'm like, my guess. <laughs> okay, that's fine. <laughs> but there are people way more than I think, I think, I think, I think, um, that are awake, right. That are paying attention, maybe not as much as me, which is fine, but the people that are the loudest are the ones that are aiding, you know, helping the problem. And so that's where I do think having more podcasts or people with influence, just being willing to have the conversation, it kind of evens out the playing field. Let's get some of us talking about things that I would, I would like to assume many people are already thinking and they may not know the details of it, but they're already know like their minds in the protect the children. Let's have self, you know, sovereignty, food security, um, power to the people, not power to the government. Like there are 
I would like to assume majority of people <laughs> that feel that way. And then we see the power of media where if you have enough money and you can get enough people to see it and you can make something really small seem really big and you can, you know, certain pieces of like that event, make those the statement, make those where everyone looks. And then we forget it. We don't even question any of the other stuff. Cause we're like, Oh, that's where the story is. You know, it's just easy to manipulate people's perception. And I think if we just, you know, people that are listening, if you can understand that and maybe that concept, you might approach information a little bit differently. And that's just how we start. We just change the way we think. If we can change our, our mental behavior from being a victim or from seeing things so aggressively and negative all the time, you know, or feeling like there's no hope and, and then wanting to be like a, like a, I have like a hero complex, right? Like you got to get the jab because you don't care about your family. You don't care about your grandparents. It's like, whoa, dude, just human, basic, basic human rights. There's more to it. Let's not attack somebody because they don't see eye to eye with you. There's more information, research it more. And let's have a conversation. You know, we just need to relax, know that it's okay if you've been doing it wrong. Know it's okay that if someone else has been doing it wrong, but give them the opportunity to change their mind. When, you don't give the, them the opportunity to change their mind, then we're in the same place we started at. We ain't going nowhere. And, and I start with, we are creating this. And I mean that as in, then it removes the whole even, and I said this earlier, the whole like, it's Bill Gates' fault. It's this, it's that, no, we collectively together are creating this because I do believe that as we create something different, there won't be a time and place for all the bullshit fuckery that we're seeing. Meaning mm -hmm. if we can create a new thing together, like then that other stuff can't survive. It's like a good group of friends. Like if you have a really solid group of friends who call each other out, but also have love, humility in that mix, you get one bonehead who tries to join that group of friends, it's not gonna work. They're, it's gonna get sniffed out right away. They're gonna say either you're fake or you're a shithead and he's not gonna be allowed in that friend group. That's like, we should hold ourselves to that type of consistency and value-based thinking that as a species and as a country that starts to happen where it's like, hey, this jackass in Congress, like we know he's a shithead, he can't be here. Like we should have wise people in wise roles making wise decisions and there just isn't enough of that. But that starts at the ground roots. Once again, compliment to you guys of people, people becoming more value-based, stepping into their wisdom, not because they think they're wise, but because their community thinks they're wise. Because when that starts to happen, then instead of having sociopathic egomaniacs in Congress, you have people that were elected by a group of people who were wise to say, hey, this was the wisest of our group. They should be the one make, helping make the decisions at the highest level. And you start to build a structure that way, as opposed to this lobbyist money-based system, it looks completely different, but that starts with we. So that's why I, I lead it back to like, hey, we're creating this and we are gonna be the ones to change it because there's no more pointing the finger then. It's like, how can you and your community affect as many people as possible? And it stops at that almost. That's 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 your value add to, to, to solving these issues we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a, a big initiative of what we're building is that <clears throat> we have a, uh, a significant number of voting population that understands the fundamentals and the values of what we're building this company around so that when policies are trying to be made around the things that this whole group cares about we can we have a we have enough we've aggregated enough voters enough of our population to say wait 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 you know like like what's happening in Italy they've banned the the production of fake meat in their country that's because enough of them agree that that's that's a right that we're going to protect 
Well, I think we have enough of them in our country too. We're just not aligned anywhere to collectively make our voice heard or to collectively hear like, hey, by the way, your government's trying to bring in more beef from Paraguay. Or, hey, by the way, the government's now saying that you can put mRNA vaccine in pork and chicken. Did you know that? And they're now trying to push it towards beef. Like, you need to start calling your local senators and say, don't don't, don't let that shit happen. If enough of us can come together and, and be uh, uh, educated of what's going on, because people are so busy. They're distracted by all of these other things, whether whether good distractions because they're really trying to make something positive happen in their life or they're just a consumer of, of information. We need to have a place where we can bring people together that, that, that can hear these things that are being put forward on their behalf without them knowing. And most, cause most people would say, no, I'm, I'm not for that. I'm not for MRNA technology in my meat. I'm not for, uh, looking for the cheapest way to produce food. So now you're, take you know a practice that's happening and, I, and i'm not going to tell you i don't know where it's happening but just understand there are there is evidence video evidence you can find they'll buy candy bars and and outdated food stuffs they'll grind it up in the packages and mix it into livestock feed because it's a cheaper source of 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 energy to put fat on well that's why we're now seeing microplastics in our meat because they literally fed your food garbage. And, you know, because they can't, we're, we're, they bought it to be cheap. They don't have anybody shucking all the candy bars out of the wrappers. They <laughs> yeah. literally run it through a giant grinder, emulsify it, and mix it with the feed. And so we, there needs to be a place where people can learn these things. They can say, wait, and then start voting with their food dollar and just voting in general. Like, no, I do not want mRNA vaccine technology in any of my meat. Um, I don't want lab-grown meat as my only alternative. I don't want, uh, you know, insects as the alternative. They're, I don't know if people know this. They're building the largest insect protein factory in the world here in, in, in our country. And they're sneaking it into ingredients that people just are com completely unaware of. It's like, it's like even before this point, the dyes that are in our food that are banned in other countries – Right. Um, the reason celiac disease exists is because of glyphosate, because we have forsaken the the natural cycles of growing food. And 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 we have gotten distracted from the idea that soil health is the number one key to all human survival on and, and life on the planet. The, the key to all life on planet starts under our feet in our soil. And we don't know the first thing about what makes that up. We have we haven't even bothered to study that. You can take a teaspoon of soil, there are more organisms in a teaspoon of soil than there are stars in the galaxy. Is what they say. Like that's there the microorganisms that make up our soil biology, we we don't even understand. And yet we wrap up World War II and turn these chemical warfare tools into you know, food production tools, which makes perfect sense. Crisco. Yep. Yeah, Crisco. With Everyone a, knows Crisco. Yeah, yeah. So just, I mean, the awakening is coming. People are aware. Why? Because we are at critical failure. Our our chronic health in our country is through the roof. When you talk about protecting the kids, all I think about is, do we really know what that means? Like, do we understand that protecting our children starts with their mental health? 
And that starts with what they're consuming. Like if you don't understand micro gut biology and then, then you don't understand anything. And so you're, you're raising sick human beings. Like for the first time in history, our youth are expected to die sooner than their parents. And it's because of, it is because of their environment, their food being primary, right? If you're eating processed foods or feeding your family processed foods, you are killing your family. That, that I'm just not going to, I'm not going to sugarcoat that anymore because some people need to be glad handed or, or, or uh, uh, taken care of with kid gloves. If you're serving your children processed foods, you are killing your children. They will have diabetes. They will have chronic health uh, issues. We used to spend 8%, uh, excuse me, 30% of our budget on our food and 8% on our health care. That was the average uh, uh, output of our expenses. There, AJ, it's like, and people rag me for this, but once again, just something I'm getting more and more comfortable being like, I disagree with is like, we eat organic food as a family and people are like, Oh, you eat organic food. You have the money. It's like <laughs> you hippie. It's, it's like, yes, because it matters guys. And here I'll give you 400 studies that show the effects of glyphosate <laughs> on the gut microbiome and leaky gut and all these autoimmune things. But it, it, it's, it amazes me. And of course I'm never the one, just not my personality to sit there and scream, but people notice it when they come over, they notice if they go to the grocery store with me, it's like, those things matter, yet we, it's its become like a laughable, like, oh, yeah, it matters. Like, they're just getting your extra money. It's like, no, guys, no, this will be another <laughs> thing in 10 years we look back on and say, oh, my God, I made fun of people that ate organic. It's like you, your food should not have a bunch of pesticides and war fertilizer sprayed on it in order to keep it alive. Like, that is going into your gut, and it's affecting the way you think, the way you feel, the way you sleep your hormone levels and once again those are the you can you can you could branch off into each of those and go down a rabbit hole on mm -hmm. on that because the data is there to support it but it's taking so long for people to recognize that and it's sad because we've just been convinced that no no conventional crops those things it's it's good but you do a micronutrient profile on it and it's like it has zero micronutrients so yeah, I'm I'm jumping right back in and I know we're already we're already over time yeah. so I, I apologize I'm I'm rambling no, this was this was fascinating stuff, and I you know I think just I hope people continue to get more educated because again, you have to take the average person, and you know we fall into this too. It's like you're you're so busy and consumed with your daily lives, with you know your job and trying to stay fit and kids. You know, it's like how do you expect people to be super um, kind of knowledgeable on this? But I think with with enough people talking about it, eventually it'll become prevailing thought, um, and that's when real change can happen. So. Um, so to kind of wrap it up, so obviously Feed the People uh, is the organization, and then From the Farm is the app. So how can people support right now? I mean, can I download the app right now and go find, you know, the Virginia Beach version of Old Man Apple and start buying raw milk from them, or how does it work? The app launches in March. Oh, uh, okay. So if you go to feedthepeoplebythepeople.com, you can get on our mailing list and be notified as soon as we go live. Uh, we have our strategic rollout. We're going to start here in Utah just to work out the bugs. Okay. You know, really all that's going to take what's what will lack, what will be lacking for us to scale across the nation is onboarding farmers and ranchers throughout the nation. So okay. the sooner we can onboard people in your area, the sooner we can help you out. Now, with that being said, we are partnered with a, a large USDA meat processing facility out of Utah that, that I'm actually chief strategist for. We're, we're building that, and it'll be live in March as well. So we'll be able to help aggregate up until we onboard people in your area. So, uh, yeah, app comes out in March. Feed the people, buy the people. You can get on our mailing list. That way we can keep updated with you when we're, when we're going live and, and people can connect that way. 
And if anyone listening, or if you know somebody who owns or runs a processing facility, and they are interested in, you know, decentralizing the food supply, just like we are, get in touch with us because we have a plan and a model set up to actually work with the processing facility as well, separate from how we're working with, you know, we'll work with ranchers and farmers, but processing facility to be a place where we can, we can feed even more people. We can cover more ground, you know? Yeah. So if you are, or you know, somebody connect with us. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to, there, there's a couple people in my network, albeit not the biggest network in the world that, that would love to make some intros if not. And, and I know your guys' time is so valuable. So if nothing else, I'll just kind of educate them on this because they are, they're making a change here locally in Virginia beach. And then some, some in a awesome. bigger way out towards Charlottesville and stuff. So would love to help you guys out uh, in any way possible. As you saw by my ramblings, this is something that's, that's near and dear to me. So would love to help in any well, way I, possible. I think that just like this conversation, like there's probably, I mean, AJ is very knowledgeable too, and he's really good at explaining and, and um, giving that information. I think most people do care about it deeper than they may think. And it's just because they don't know all the nuances there should yep. be grace with those people. Cause like the yes. whole waking up thing, it's like, guys, we shouldn't just go to people and shake them. Like no. get woken up like that. What do you do? You're going to fight back and scream. It's like, give them and, and, and hopefully that's what podcast you guys being out there on the front lines is slowly information, information, have humility, have grace, see their side, be able to speak to their side and say, Hey, I know I, I can see why you see that way, but mm -hmm. here's maybe some, some differing data. There should be a softness to it because yes, trying to shake somebody and tell them that they need to wake up is not the way to do it. So, yeah, yeah. I think that we're at, a, we're at a point where you can't beat around the bush, you know? So be somebody who is going to tell you, going to be honest with you and they may not like it and they may leave and be like you suck and i am follow you and we're not friends anymore but to also be the person be the person that's going to be honest but be the person that, that is there for when they maybe change their mind and they want to talk to you about it you know and that's going to be that's how how do we how do we respond how do we sound you know and that's where it's you know take care but don't put your, you know, white gloves on for it. Like we, we're not at a point where we can be like, kind of tell someone like, I'm kind of want to tell you about the truth or like what's going on. But I also don't want to make you, make you freak out. It's like, no, just with, from, you know, from the most caring place that you have inside of your heart and inside of your body, tell them. Agreed. And then be there for when they, you know, maybe it'll take a while for them to see it. But at a certain point, once it's like, once you, once you plant the seed and that's how I feel about like, sharing information on social and things like that. If I can just plant the seed, even if you get pissed at me and you want to follow me, I've planted something in your mind that now I think you're going to be more aware to when you see things pop up or you see a, a, a headline or you see a video, you're like, oh, now you're a little bit, it's like when you, someone says, have you seen any red cars today? Or you buy a new car and now you go drive and like, all you see is the car you just bought everywhere. <laughs> you weren't trying to see those cars, but you keep seeing them, you know? So just plant the seed with people. And, and then just let that seed grow on its own. Absolutely. AJ, you got the final word, man. Well, this, I always wrap up, shake the hand that feeds you. That's the most important thing that you can do for you and your family. And if you really want to help make this different, uh, uh, make a difference in your communities locally, shake the hand that feeds you, be there for your producers. And, um, 
and I'll just kind of repeat what Brooke is saying, become educated, start, start, uh, start the process of understanding those basic needs, food, shelter, safety, and how they impact you and your family and your life. And if you've got that relationship with your local food grower, that's one less thing on your to-do list when things are, things are bad. Absolutely. Well, thank you both so much for your time. That was fun. I know, uh, <laughs> but, you know Tony and I had some scripted questions, and I think we did like two of them. Yeah, yeah, I knew we were, yeah. Bill Gates and this and that. But we, we went down some rabbit holes, and um, we'll have our tinfoil hat for the next one for yeah. sure. But no, that was fun and, and super insightful. So thank you both for your time. I know you're both really busy. Um, you know, you have an ally with us over here at Born Primitive. So if there's anything we can do to to, to help you all out, uh, stay in touch. Um, yeah, for everyone listening, uh, feed the people, buy the people, check it out, get on that mailing list. Um, and we will be, you know, rooting for you guys as this thing gets launched in March. Um, I think it's awesome. an incredible idea and it's, it's, um, you know, very, uh, good timing on this as, as you kind of, uh, you know, outlined. So thank you both. We appreciate it. And, uh, and we'll be watching. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks guys. Thanks, guys. Awesome. <clears throat> See ya.